You guys can be seated. We're going to keep worshiping as we receive this morning's offerings. Thank you, God. Thank you for your provisions, the ways you've provided for this church.
become great and the last become first your kingdom is backward but teach us to serve
our prayer that you would give the Holy Spirit. And your word says you're faithful to give the Spirit to those who ask. So we pray this morning's service would be anointed by the power of the Spirit, that as your word goes forth, it would move in power through our hearts and change us forever. We believe, Lord God, that that's your desire and that is our desire as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. We're going to take a moment and cover some announcements. All right. Good morning, church. We may need to do a, a, a Calvary crunch this morning if we could. Um, I see some empty chairs over there and over there. If you could maybe just, let's say, move towards the center. Will that work? Maybe move towards the... If there's empty seats, point them out so we can get some folks in. We're setting up some chairs in the back, but I, I see some empty seats. So just move so we can see that that'd be great. There's some in the back over there if we need them. Well, welcome, church. If there's anybody here for the first time, why don't you raise your hand so we can just say hello? Anybody at all? Welcome. Glad to have you. If you take out your bulletins, we'll go over a few things happening here at Calvary. On the left side of our bulletin is our weekly fellowship opportunities. And we actually have um, our uh, women's study is going to be starting up September 14th. And uh, it's a, a series they're going to be going through called All About the Joes. And it's going to cover Joseph, Jonah, and Job. And there's a sign-up sheet in the back. And these studies were prepared by our women's retreat teacher this year, Kathy Dickinson. And so all the information about that retreat is in the back. But ladies, it's coming up 22nd and 23rd of September. You will absolutely be blessed by coming out for that. So I encourage you, sign up today. We need to get a number so we know how much food we can order for it. But it'll be Friday night. It'll be Saturday, uh, all day Saturday, 22nd, 23rd of September. It'll be a great time. And, and so uh, it's all back there. They made a little thing in the closet with little stuff pretty and the sign-up sheet so you ladies can... I sat and watched yesterday as they did that. I'm like, okay, that's nice. Okay, but it's all pretty for the ladies. So anyway, that'll cause you to sign up, right? So, all right, moving on. Our GO team is going out Friday. This coming Friday is the GO team. We go out to the southwest corner of the square, and we just share our faith. We bring a, a ice chest full of drinks, sodas and stuff, and we give it to them freely. Freely you give, freely you receive, freely you give. We share the gospel with them. And so if you want to be a part of that, just see Greg Cones. Um, I'm sure he's here someplace, but see Greg. Or just show up. Greg's in the back corner over there. Or just show up there, 730. Uh, would love to have you be a part of that. Some ministry needs we have for the church, as you can tell, our Sunday morning services have been growing, and so we're going to need some pre-K helpers on Sunday morning service. That would just be a, you know, once a month Sunday that you can help out would be great to see Ginger for that. Our New Testament Greek class is going to be starting up again, a new class, uh, September 18th, 5.45 to 6.45 p.m. Uh, there's uh, books that come along with that. You can see it right there. If you need more information about that, talk to Pastor Bruce right over there. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for that as well. Also, we have the, the True History Academy. Lisa Meeks has told me about this many times, and I keep forgetting to announce it. At Godfather's Pizza there in Inger Mill at, on Sunday nights, we've been doing uh, from 6 to 8.30 showing these vi- uh, movies. And tonight, I thought it was last week, but tonight's going to be monumental. So if you want to come out and see that, if you've been a part of the biblical citizenship class, you've heard about it. So that'll be tonight. Just see Lisa with more information about that. And then one more thing. Uh, 
I had a gentleman approach me uh, about uh, a pastor of a church wanting to do a baptism down at Moonshine Beach. And I said, well, you know, we kind of just had our baptism. But he said, well, here's the deal. During Labor Day weekend, the place is packed with thousands of people. So what he has planned is for us to go down there and to be able to help baptize or to be baptized if you weren't baptized and just be used by the Lord. I said, well, we'll be there. So it's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Anytime you want to come down for that, Labor Day weekend, uh, it's, it's from 9 to 5, I believe. Let me see, I wrote down the 9 to 8 p.m. So it goes on until 8 p.m. Uh, on Moonshine Beach there. And, uh, and so it should be, a, it's called Jesus Celebration. Do we have a picture of it? We had one. I'll get it up. Maybe, maybe not. It's labeled baptism, that. We don't need the video. <laughs> So with those announcements, why don't we all stand and turn around and say hello to There it is. All right. Good job, Nat. All right. Now let's all stand and say hello to someone you haven't said hello to before.
All right. We can find our seats. couple more announcements. I uh, just got word Leanne Peterson's sister uh, just healed. She had a brain tumor. They thought it was you know, serious and, and it was benign. They got rid of it. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah. And many of you know little Sandy. She sits right over here. She's made her way into everybody's life here at the church. Um, we have been praying for her. She had a, a pretty massive heart attack. Uh, they put a stent in, and then they did, a, I believe it's a triple bypass surgery day before yesterday. Uh, she's doing well. Uh, so the, the prayer is that she doesn't get an infection. Her skin is really thin at that age, and, and so they really want to make sure she doesn't get an infection. But she's doing well. So praise the Lord for that. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, we are continuing our ser- series through uh, what I've titled, What Happens Next? It's a prophecy series, and we know that our our verse that we've used throughout this time can be found in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, which says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So the time I message this morning, what we're going to look at this morning is three things, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and Armageddon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word. And we pray just your blessing upon it, Lord, as we uh, gain uh, information, Lord. We pray that we would also have application, that it would stir in our hearts, or just a a, a desire to live for you in every aspect of our life and to share you with those around us at every moment that we can. We thank you for this series. We thank you for the fact that you are coming again, Lord. And we do pray if there's anyone here right now or anyone watching online, anyone that may be watching uh, months from now uh, that doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, Lord, we pray that you touch their hearts, help them to see their need for you, and they return from their sin and cry out to you for salvation today and receive it. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Mark Twain once said, when the end of the world comes, I want to be in Kentucky. They're always 20 years behind everything. (laughs) Another man said he got stuck behind a tractor on his way to work in the morning. The guy on top wouldn't stop screaming, we're all doomed. The end of the world is here. Repent. Turned out it was just Farmer Geddon. Farmer Geddon. One more. One man said, my friend was shocked when I told him I didn't know what the word apocalypse meant. So I told him, relax, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) We can joke about it, make fun of it, even deny it, but it doesn't change the fact that one day the end of the world as we know it is going to happen. And I personally based off of what I've read and studied in scriptures, believe that it's going to happen very, very soon. That this world is about to face a time of of tribulation unparalleled in human history. A time so horrible 
that Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. By the way, Christians are not the only ones that believe the end of the world is near. There's a group of 18 scientists that get together and they, they vote periodically on how close they believe that we are to the end of the world. They are known as Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. And so they uh, determine and vote on where the hands of the doomsday clock is set to determine how close we are to self-destruction. How much time do we have left till midnight, till uh, complete annihilation? And this year, 2023, they have moved the hands of the doomsday clock forward. The clock now stands at 90 seconds till midnight. The closest to global catastrophe it has ever been. Just to give you some sort of bearing on this, in 2013, just 10 years ago, it was set at five minutes till midnight. Now it's 20, or 90 seconds. And I've said this before. I firmly believe that there's never been a generation that has been closer to the return of Jesus Christ than we are right now. And we've been told all about it. We pointed out again and again and again in our series that no other book declares prophecy the way the Bible does and proves it 100% of the time by coming true. You recall Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. The Lord says, Remember the things I've done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Everything I plan, God says, will not might, not there's a good chance. He says, it will come to pass. And we've looked at, so far, what has happened, if you recall. We pointed out in our first study that the strongest proof that we are living in the last days happened really back in 1948 in May when Israel became a nation once again and the Jews started returning to their land, fulfilling Ezekiel chapter 37 setting up the stage for the Gog and Magog war in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And then we looked at what happens next and pointed that there is no prophecy yet to be fulfilled that would prevent Jesus from coming back for his church in the rapture of the church. That, it's, that he would fulfill 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Can I hear an amen on that? The rapture of the church. What happens next? Well, last week we looked at some of the times, uh, some of the signs of the times leading up to and into the great tribulation. And we pointed out there that there's never been another time in history when the signs of the end time prophecies have been more aligned with our culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. Then we noted certain signs that would include what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And we looked at, if you recall last time, the comparison, the parallels between the days of Noah found in Genesis chapter 6 and the days in which we lived in. And we found four things there that would mark those times Again, if you wrote them down, if not, here they are again. Number one, there would be an increase in the population. Number two, there would be abnormal immoral sexual activity. Number three, the wickedness of man would be great. And number four, the earth would be filled with violence. This gets, up, up, gets us up to date where we're at this morning. So what happens next? 
Well, what happens next is the great tribulation. Now, certainly we do not have time to go into every aspect about it, so I'm just going to try and hit the highlights. I guess you call them highlights. <laughs> Downlights. And again, uh, our three points this morning. Number one, the great tribulation. Number two, the Antichrist. And number three, Armageddon. I think each one is a study in itself, but again, we'll just hit the highlights. There's a lot of verses that we're going to bring up. So I encourage you to write down the address. Don't try and write the whole verse. I'll try and slow down, but I, I can't go that slow. <laughs> Just write the address. And you can always look it up later. Or come up after me after service and say, what was that verse you said? I'll get it to you. But I do want to point out something that we haven't covered yet, and we probably should have a while back. But when it comes to the great tribulation and the rapture of the church, there's three views on this topic. There's a pre-tribulation rapture, there's a mid-tribulation rapture, and there's a post-tribulation rapture. First, the pre-tribulation rapture, it's a view we hold here at Calvary. We believe, the Bible clearly teaches, that Jesus will come back for his church prior to the great tribulation. Then there's the mid-tribulation view, this, that Jesus will come back for his church pre-wrath. That is, three and a half years into the great tribulation, Jesus will come and take his church home before it gets really, really bad on the earth. And then there is the post-tribulation rapture, the post-tribbers. Sounds like a breakfast cereal, right? Pink hearts, yellow moons, orange stars, green clovers. Magically delicious. <laughs> now, just because you may have different views doesn't make you not a Christian. It's okay to have different views. And if you do this morning, post-trib or mid-trib, don't worry about it. We'll tell you all about it on the way up. But... <laughs> Post-tribbers, they believe that Jesus will come back after the great tribulation and gather together the church with them. And I have a few problems with that scripturally. One of the problems I have is that if you believe in a post-tribulation rapture, you can't believe that Jesus can come back at any hour. See, this view denies the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Because if you believe in post-trib, then there's going to have to be a seven-year tribulation period before the Lord comes back. So you would know exactly when that date would be, exactly at the end of those seven years. And Scripture clearly teaches no one knows the day or the hour. Another problem I have with a post-tribulation rapture is there would be no one left to populate the millennium. We're going to talk about the millennium next week. But if all the believers are raptured out of here and all the non-believers will be judged because no unrighteousness will be allowed in the kingdom, there will be no one left in mortal bodies. And there will need to be mortal bodies to populate the millennial kingdom. That's why most of those who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, they're also amillennialist, which basically means they do not believe in that thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. And then a third problem I have with post-tribbers, or the post-trib rapture rather, not with them personally, <laughs> A post-tribulation rapture requires that the church go through the great tribulation. And I believe Scripture teaches very strongly that God will not pour out his wrath upon the church. First, Thess First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at this in our study in the rapture, God never pours out his wrath on the righteous with the unrighteous. And we noted Enoch and Noah and Lot and his daughters and Rahab, and the list goes on and on. In 2 Peter 2.9, Peter sums it up. Then that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And in fact, Jesus' own words, 
found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Well, now this, this brings us now to point number one, kind of a long introduction, and the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth. What is this thing called, number one, the Great Tribulation? Again, I believe at the time in the very near future that the Bible talks more about than any other time in history. Why do we call it the Great Tribulation? Well, first of all, because Jesus did. In Matthew 24, 20, 21, he said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. The Apostle John also recorded for us that title in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, verse 13, John had a vision there of these souls under the altar, and an angel asked if he knew who they were. And John paraphrased, I haven't got a clue. Who are they? And to which the angel replied in Revelation 7:14, these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So there as well it's called the great tribulation. Now it's also called other things in Scripture as well. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, we read, Alas, for that day is great, so that no one is li- that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. We know Jacob later changed his name. The Lord changed his name to Israel. God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, calling it uh, not the time of the, the, the church's trouble, but the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Israel's trouble. Church has not replaced Israel, as some groups like to teach. Now, we know this because over in Daniel chapter 9, we're told of the great tribulation as well. But there it's known as the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 begins with 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Well, who would be your people to Daniel? Well, that would be the Jews. And the holy city would be Jerusalem. 70 weeks are determined. That word weeks is unfortunate. It's a Hebrew word, Shabuah, which means a collection of seven, a group of sevens, any group of seven. If Daniel intended it to first interpret it as literal weeks, he would have used the word for day, not week. So we know in the context here, Daniel chapter 9, that there's 69 seven-year periods that have been fulfilled. And that leaves then just one seven-year period left to be fulfilled. I don't have time to go into all the details, but basically this has happened because of the rejection of Jesus Christ by the Jews. You recall in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says their blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. See, after Jesus was rejected by his own people, God then turned his his focus on the Gentiles. And thankfully so, for almost 2,000 years, the gospel has gone to the whole world, including to you and to me. But there will come a time when God will deal once again with the nation of Israel. And that is during the Great Tribulation. In fact, the angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9 is describing to Daniel the future of his people, the Jews, in the city in Jerusalem as it affects the whole earth. And he says this, and I'll read it again. We already started it. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And he goes, what is that? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint or to coronate the most holy. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we have the entire history of the world laid out for us. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar 
and Daniel all the way to the millennial kingdom when Jesus, uh, King Jesus is coronated. I have it all in this one verse, actually. Jesus' first and second coming. His first coming was to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. He died for the sins of the world. The second coming is to anoint the most holy. So it's all in one verse. So before the second coming of Jesus, we have what's called the Great Tribulation. Jesus calls it it in Matthew 24, 21. It's called the Great Tribulation, Revelation 7, 14. Time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. The 70th week of Daniel, chapter 9. I might add it's also found in the book of uh, Joel, chapter 3, as well as you can read specifically about it in Revelation, chapter 6 through 16. So there it is, yet to be fulfilled, a time unparalleled in world history. It will start once the church has been raptured or shortly thereafter, and it will end in the return of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, Revelation 6 through 16 really gives us in great detail what's going on during that seven-year time, specifically the last three and a half years. Uh, the Apostle John describes this judgment of God uh, this way. He says that, that he sees this vision of a great scroll, Revelation chapter 5. Then he sees seven seals, Revelation chapter 6. Seven trumpets, Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And seven bowls, Revelation chapter 16. All speaking of the judgment of God. Those seven seals are found in Revelation 6 with the first seal starting with the four horses, of the apocalypse, speaks of famine and, and uh, bloodshed and uh, from war, pestilence, just horrible. Then once that final seal is open, that reveals the seven trumpets. Now the trumpet judgments are found in chapters 8 and 9 of Revelation. First trumpet, hail and fire with blood. Second trumpet, burning mountains that drop to the sea. Third trumpet, stars that fall from the sky. Fourth trumpet, heavenly bodies collide and one-third of earth's light is lost. Fifth trumpet, poisonous locusts attack. And the sixth trumpet, one-third of mankind is killed. And we've just begun. <laughs> then we get to the seventh trumpet according to Revelation 11, verse 15 through 19. God is worshipped in heaven while a great earthquake hits the earth. And that begins the final judgment called the seven bowl judgments in Revelation chapter 16. First Bowl, horrible swords will break out on anyone who has the mark of the beast. The second bowl, the oceans turn to blood and everything in them dies. Third bowl, the earth's rivers and springs all turn to blood. The fourth bowl, the heat from the sun intensifies and everyone is scorched. The fifth bowl, the earth is plunged into darkness and everyone is in anguish from their sores and pain. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dries up, which is starting to already, which will allow the armies from the east to march towards Israel to fight against the Antichrist. And the seventh bowl, the greatest earthquake the world has ever experienced. God bless you guys. Have a great week. <laughs> I mean, this is horrible. Absolutely horrible what's about to come to this earth. Yet this is in God's word, so it has a purpose for us. Again, remember our verse, our theme verse, 2 Peter 1, 9. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen, God doesn't want us to know these things to, to freak us out, but to fire us up and for us to recognize that this world is not our home, that we only have a short amount of time to make a difference, to live for Christ, to shine as lights in this dark world. We only have a short amount of time to share the hope that we have and that, that, that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ does not have to face these things we just talked about. 
And we're talking about the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. And then the emergence of point number two, the Antichrist. One online to see in history who people thought was the Antichrist. And as you can imagine, there are all sorts of ideas, all sorts of answers from Nero to Hitler to Henry Kissinger, who amazingly is still alive at 100 years old. I've also heard you can get the number 666 out of Mickey Mouse. But then I read this comment from one lady. She posted, she said, I don't know about in history, but I personally know the Antichrist, and it is my stepmother, Cecilia. (laughs) She goes on. Seriously, she is. She is Satan himself in form of a psychotic, delusional, controlling woman with no capacity to love. I hope you never cross paths with her. (laughs) You know, I've heard people make all kinds of guesses who they think the Antichrist is, and they look, and they, well, it could be this guy, and it could be that guy. Yet the Bible does not reveal specifically who the Antichrist is. And as I pointed out last week, he won't reveal be revealed until we, the church, is taken out of here. Second Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, for the mystery of the lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, then the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. So the Bible doesn't tell us who he'll be, rather what he will be like. And let's think about this word Antichrist for a moment. The prefix anti not only means against, it also means instead of. So here's the question. Is the Antichrist against or is it in the place of Christ? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both. He will be the arch enemy, arch enemy and the ultimate opponent of Jesus Christ, but he will want people to believe that he has taken the place of Christ. A lot of misconceptions about him. He's not going to be this evil-looking guy, always wearing black and a black cape and this evil laugh. <laughs> I'm the Antichrist. No, the Antichrist is going to be the most charismatic man you've ever met. Probably very good-looking. No doubt a guy with a great sense of humor, got kindness in his eyes. He's going to be a man that comes on the scene that, that initially with overtures of peace and harmony and global brotherhood. I'm sure he's going to be a a great advocate of working out all of our world's problems and living together in harmony. And he's going to preach that gospel of tolerance and very woke (laughs) global unity. I have no doubt he'll be working directly through the World Health Organization. You see, this man will be everything to everyone as he comes on the scene, kind of arrogant and sure. But not only arrogant, very confident. Why? Because he can actually do the job. He can get the job done. See, Paul goes on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, prophesying of this man when he says, The coming of this lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So we know that this Antichrist is going to come on the scene with with, uh, power and signs and lying wonders. He's going to fool a lot of people. And he's going to start with the nation of Israel and bring about the seven-year peace treaty with them. So you go, well, well, I've heard that before. Well, where does the Bible say there's going to be a seven-year peace treaty with them? Uh, Well, the notion of, of peace really comes from several places, the treaty, but it takes us back to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Gabriel says, then he, 
by the, the context of that, it, we know he's speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So that would be the 70th week of covenant, a seven-year peace plan. So no matter what you hear about attaining peace in Israel, it's not going to happen until the Antichrist comes on the scene after we as a church have been raptured. Now understand, all this is going to happen because God is allowing it to happen. None of this is taking God by surprise. After all, he, he's the one prophesying of all of this in his word so we can read it and understand it. So even though the Antichrist rises up and works his false peace, understand God is allowing it to happen. He has a plan and a purpose behind it. You know, there are times that we go through in our lives of great difficulty, struggles, and we may blame it on Satan and how he's just tearing us apart and attacking us and think that God doesn't understand what we're going through. That God is very much aware of everything that we go through, and he allows those struggles, and he allows those trials to come away for our good and for us to call out to him and to grow in our relationship with him. Now, not all things... Uh, that come to us are in themselves good. Genesis chapter 37, it was not good for Joseph to be hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, lied on by a wicked woman, and then cast into prison. Those things were not good. But Joseph maintained a right attitude towards his trials. And let me say, our attitudes will either make us or break us. Because if we truly uh, are, uh, are following the Lord, belong to the Lord, then we can be rest assured that what he says, that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose, it's going to work together for his glory. So then whatever comes our way, comes by his permission or direction, he either sent it or he permits it. And whatever he sends or permits, he could prevent, but since he doesn't prevent it, then we just must rest in the fact that he will ultimately work it out for his glory and for our good. So the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to be held as a hero. He's going to do something that no one has ever been done before. He's going to bring about this global peace uh, in, in, in Israel, three and a half years, a, a covenant. And this is why a lot of people believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. But again, my problem with that is that I, if, you, if it was a mid-trib rapture, then you'd know when Jesus would come back the hour at a time, so it doesn't make any sense. But back to the Antichrist, Revelation 13 really describes him as a guy that I don't want to spend too much time on him other than what's necessary. But it appears that according to Revelation 13, verse 3, there's going to be an assassination attempt on his life. Revelation 13, 3, as I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So again, I believe this is saying there's going to be an assassination attempt uh, on his life that will appear to be successful. According to Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17, this uh, assassination attempt will leave him blind and will also leave his right eye, uh, or blind his right eye and his right arm paralyzed. And this word in verse 3 for mortally wounded could be translated two ways, either wounded to death or wounded to the appearance of death. So there are those that actually believe that the Antichrist will, will only appear to be dead as a result of the womb. But in Revelation 17, 8, it appears that he actually does indeed die and come back. Listen to Revelation 17, verse 8. It says that the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. 
And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So it seems like the Antichrist will actually die, descend into hell, and then when he is sent out of hell, he will truly be the incarnation of Satan. Just as Jesus Christ comes from heaven and is God, so too it would seem like this, this you know, a direct opposite. The Antichrist will be truly the incarnation of the dragon Satan himself. So that when he comes back, he's going to come back with greater power than ever before, and the entire world is going to look at him and they're going to worship him. I mean, think about it. All those in the world at this time who will see this great leader, this, this charismatic man, wounded to the point of death, and, and then come back to life, think of the impact that it'll have. Think of the assassination, for those of you a little bit older, uh, President John F. Kennedy. I mean, it shook our nation as a whole. Then think of the reaction that we would, you would have had if, if suddenly, uh, after they announced that JFK was dead, an hour later they said, it's amazing, he's alive. I mean, the, the, the assassination of the, this future charismatic world leader will be even more impactful than that. So impactful that so, this person is so influential that the people actually worship him. There's going to be widespread acceptance and allegiance for this Antichrist after this event. No one will be able to buy or sell without pledging their allegiance to this man, taking his mark, whatever that may be. Now, again, Revelation 13 is pretty much the definitive chapter on the subject of the Antichrist or the beast, as he's called. Revelation 13, 4, as a result of the assassination, as I said, they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? They worshiped the dragon, Satan. They worshiped the beast, the Antichrist. What has Satan wanted all along? Just to be worshiped. I mean, he's going to get it on a widespread scale, what he's been craving all along. They may say, oh, come on, you know, people, they're not going to worship Satan. Maybe we used to say that, but nowadays things have changed. We have satanic churches where people are constantly, knowingly worshiping Satan. <laughs> you heard, you know, places like Fox News that was sending financial support to him until they found out about it. Many people today are worshiping Satan through the worship of self. You know, Scientology, the New Age movement, there's a way of thinking that is permeating our society and it's very effective, it's very seductive because it's all about you, it's all about self-focus. What did Satan think? I will be like the Most High, I, I will ascend. What are people telling you today? You need to feel good about yourself, you need to believe in yourself, it's all about you, you will ascend, you'll reach new heights, just believe. In times past, people used to read this about Satan and, and being worshipped, and there'd be this thinking, oh, this is going to be like this demonic-looking creature and men in red robes holding weird satanic you know, services like the old B-movies of the devil worship movies when I was in high school. It's like, oh, That's all a deception. That's not what it's going to look like. It's all going to be cloaked with this new age enlightenment, new consciousness, self-awareness, self-satisfaction, all about self. And this new age, the Antichrist, will get many to worship him through the worship of self. You know, Jesus said it so clearly in Matthew 16. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Totally opposite the teaching that we see in the world today. So again, this Antichrist comes on the scene, empowered, energized by the devil himself, 
mortally wounded, comes back to life. People will buy into his lie and, and, and put both feet in. He's going to you know, be worshipped so much that he's going to take himself to the newly rebuilt temple there in Jerusalem. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he will ex- oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Oh man, this is when it gets bad. They see three and a half years into the seven-year period, we see his true colors. It's called the abomination of desolation. When, you know, after this temple is rebuilt, which we believe that he's going to help build it through peace, he's going to demand to be worshipped. Daniel 9, 27. Daniel 11, 31. Daniel 12. <laughs> read the book of Daniel. You'll see it all speaks about the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke of it in Mark chapter 13, verse 14 through 19. Let me read that to you. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Okay, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray for your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall there be. See, after this three and a half years of peace, when the Antichrist has come on the scene, calmed everybody down after the rapture of the church, had some sort of plan why it happened, these aliens took everybody or whatever it was, had this peace you know, in the Middle East, and everyone's going to look at him as some sort of God. He's going to be worshipped, then demand to be worshipped as God in the temple. Again, what he wanted all along. But when that happens, the worst of the worst is going to begin in the Great Tribulation. Jews at this point realize, this isn't the guy we thought he was. And that's why Jesus says, flee. Pray that it's not in the winter, because he's going to come after the Jews with, with, with such force and vengeance. Then also, Revelation 13.5 says he'll be given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he's given authority to continue for 42 months. So those 42 months, that's the last half of the tribulation. He's going to speak blasphemous things about God, against the Jews, against the, the, the Christians at the time. Don't we see that happening in our society today? But this guy, he's going to come on and spearhead a campaign that will make anything that we've seen in our present time against God, against godly vows look like a walk in the park. And then, beyond that, it says in Revelation 13, verse 7, the power was given to him over the saints. Verse 7, it was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, this is where it gets confusing for some because they see the word saints there and, and it's, it's an interesting verse because people read this and say, well, wait a minute, if he's given power over the saints... What about the time that Jesus said to Peter, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. How can the Antichrist give power over to overcome the saints? And didn't you say we're going to be raptured out of here before all this begins? I did. <laughs> and here's the point. Uh, the word saint is different than the word church. Those that are a part of the church are saints, but not all saints will be a part of the church. There's a group of people in the Bible referred to as saints. Saint, saint simply means separated ones. You know, no, the Old Testament saints refer to, to Israel. New Testament refers to the church. After we are raptured out of here, it refers to those who, going to who are going to get saved during the Great Tribulation. 
And I believe these are the ones that, that you've been sharing for, for weeks, months, perhaps years. Hey, Jesus is coming back. Man, you need to come to church. You need to hear Jesus is coming back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, when they see the rapture takes place, they're going to go, oh, man. And you can just tell them, you know, maybe write a note. Listen, when I'm out of here, go online, calvarychapelspringfield.com. Our videos should be online unless you're taking them down and you'll find it. And if you're listening now, let me tell you, you need to give your life to Christ and look at the rest of the messages because it's going to get worse. I do believe after the rapture of the church, I've shared this, shared this before, there's going to be the biggest revival we've ever seen. And so, Bible teaches in Revelation 20 that the Antichrist will actually establish a process of decapitation. So if you give your life, you say, I'm going to wait until I see this happening, then I'll give my life to Christ. Well, you can, but you're going to pay for it with your life. I mean, think about this. Decapitation. They'll be cutting. We don't think about that in America. We don't see it in America, but it's going to be the, the common practice to those that refuse to take the mark of the beast. Say there are those fellow Christians. I mean, I don't think we can imagine the persecution that's going to come from that. You know, right now we have some 300 to 350 million Christians in the world who are suffering some sort of persecution right now. In the uh, three decades since the Religious Liberty Organization opened doors that have been compiling its World Watch list of 50 countries, uh, they're saying that the Christians face the most persecution for their faith they've ever had to in this time. Every year worldwide, 160,000 Christians are killed for their faith, for their refusal to deny Christ. Maybe you read this in Pakistan, that these Muslims falsely accused two young Christian boys of tearing and defacing a page from a copy of the Quran, to which the local mosque then put out a call for revenge. The, the, the call was amplified on mosque loudspeakers and throughout social media, and an attack came <coughs> for more than 10 hours, Thousands of angry Muslims rampaged through Christian area. 25 churches were destroyed. A Christian cemetery was desecrated. Christian homes were looted with possessions burned in the streets. Multiple reports say police watched the ongoing violence rather than intervening to protect Christians. That's just a taste of what it's going to be like. We need to be praying, praying for our fellow believers in Pakistan. We support churches in Pakistan, Calvary Chapel of Pakistan. Remember, Wakath has been a part of our church for many years. But again, let me say this sort of persecution is really nothing compared to the pollution, the pollution, the persecution that the Antichrist will bring during the Great Tribulation. Worst the world has ever seen. And the Christians that, at that time will die a martyr's death. The Bible calls them saints that have come out of the Tribulation. Now it certainly appears that, that the enemy overcame them, but the enemy didn't overcome them. All he did was take their lives because their souls were saved. They're with God, and God has a special purpose for them on the other side of eternity. See, God's plan was never to send anyone to hell. Hell was not prepared for man. It was prepared for Satan and his demons. But due to rebellion in man, man sends himself there. But understand, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So again, Revelation 13 is pretty much the definitive chapter on the subject of the Antichrist or the beast as he's called. You can read about it. The power base of government, religion, unique numbering system where no man can buy or sell unless he has the mark. So what happens next? This brings us to our final point. Number three, the battle of Armageddon. Someone asked, what do you call a redneck apocalypse? Armageddon. 
Get it? Armor, get her done? Okay. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. I'm going to get her done. Armageddon is actually more the name of a place than a mere event. It comes from the word Armageddon, which is just a root of Megiddo. Armageddon, Armageddo, the valley of Megiddo. The Bible says that's the final place where the final battle is going to take place in mankind. The specific geographical spot known as the Valley of Megiddo there in Israel. A battle that has been prophesied uh, to happen by Daniel, John, Joel, Zechariah. Armageddon is going to be a battle unlike anything the world has ever known. At the same time, military powers from all over the world are going to converge upon the little nation of Israel to battle for world domination. The Antichrist and his armies are going to come against a 200 million man army from the east. Many believe it will be China. And in the midst of all this fighting going on with one another, that, that at that point Jesus will return and suddenly they're going to stop fighting each other and turn and they're going to fight against Jesus. Bad move. Revelation 19, 19 says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Not a good move. I mean, you really think you're going to defeat Jesus? But let me tell you, it's not going to be much of a battle. We're told when Jesus returns, first on the list, it's going to be Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Jesus is going to get her done. You see, this is the final event. This is the culmination of man rebellion against God, the final showdown. When the world comes together for this final battle, Jesus will just speak a word. And that's it. It's over. You know, many people today, they, they make Jesus out to be, oh, it just loves everybody. It doesn't matter how you live or what lifestyle you choose and, or accept. Uh, Jesus, I just love you, love you, love you. Oh, Jesus would never judge sin like that. Yeah, yeah, he is a God of love. And yes, he came in humility, but he is also a holy and righteous God, and he cannot ignore the sin of the people, and he will judge it because he is also a just God, and justice must be served. And Jesus will fulfill prophecy just as he has in every other way so far. He will carry out this judgment. Today he deals with mankind in a time of grace. And he urges men and women everywhere to obey him and surrender their life to him and to love him and to turn from their sin. But there will come a time very soon where the time of grace will be over and judgment will come. And that day, we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, speaking of Christ, and we're going to close with this. It says here, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself tread the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I was just going to say, right there we need a loud shout of amen, right? Absolutely. You know, the emblem today for Christ is the cross. 
The cross always reminds us of Jesus' own submission to death, the blood that he shed for us. But in the day that he returns, that grace is over. His emblem is going to be a rod. And he will stand in power that cannot be resisted. Today, in tenderness, Jesus invites those to come and follow him. And in that day, his tenderness is going to be turned to wrath. And he comes in the fierceness of the Almighty God. In other words, when Jesus comes again to judge sin, the sinners he will wipe out because they've rejected him as a Savior, as King, as Lord. He will destroy them. And he can do that because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Folks, as we close, there is so much evil in the world going on right now behind the scenes that we just don't see the half of it. I'm hearing again about colleges now again requiring mask mandates, forcing students to get the jab or they cannot attend class. I can't, they're trying to start this all up again. We're seeing a, a total attack of an abuse of our justice system in the courts today, a, a total disregard of our Constitution. And then when you look at these Maui fires recently, they leave us with more questions than they do answers. I know there's all sorts of conspiracy theories out there, and, and we have to be careful we don't get caught up in a bunch of them, and before you know it, you're thinking some really bizarre things. But there's just not a whole lot of answers when it comes to that devastation and these fires in Maui has caused. We also know that the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, they all have global agendas with goals of total implementation by the year 2030. But let me say it again. There is a lot of evil going on in the world behind the scenes. And it is satanic. Secret groups or billionaires couldn't organize it as well as, as it is. They do not have the ability. It is the spirit of Antichrist that the Apostle John warned about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, that is now at work in this world today. And I have to say, I do not see any sign of this going away anytime soon, only getting worse. Certainly, we can pray and do all that we can while we can to curb the tide of, of evil in this world because that's why God still has us here. But ultimately, Jesus is going to say, enough is enough, and he's going to come and get us. At that point, there will be great tribulation such as never been since the beginning of the world until this time no shall ever will be. With that said, one final question. If this was your last hour, if Christ returned right now for his church, would you be taken with his church or would you be one to face uh, what's going to happen here on this earth? Would you be left behind? Are you confident that you would go today to be with Jesus? It's not just going to church that gives you the confidence. It's coming to Christ that gives you the confidence. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know without a doubt <laughs> that your sins are forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven? See, 2,000 years ago, as predicted by the prophet, Jesus came. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He went to the cross and died for our sin. He met the righteous demands of God and absorbed the full wrath of God in our place. And then to prove it, he rose from the dead. And yes, Jesus stands at the door of our lives, the door of our hearts, and he knocks. And he says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. I will have fellowship with him. Listen, Antichrist is coming. The tribulation is coming. But Jesus is coming. Which means... 
the rapture is not far behind. Jesus will be here any any minute for his church. Are you ready? If not, would you like to be? I want to give you an opportunity before we close to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for these things we've studied this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word because it doesn't leave us uh, without knowing what's going to happen. You've laid it out very clearly in your word. And Lord, you've done that for a purpose, not for us to be freaked out, scared, but to be fired up and encouraged, Lord, knowing that soon we will be with you for eternity. We thank you, Lord, for for knowing that you went to the cross and you died for our sins. And and we thank you, Lord, that we know you. And, Lord, that you're going to come and get your kids before things get worse and you pour out your wrath upon this world. Lord, we pray right now, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that relationship with you, they're not at that point where they've cried out to you and asked for forgiveness of their sin. Lord, would you especially touch their heart, help them to see their need for you this morning. They would turn from their sin and cry out to you today. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again this morning? If that is your desire, would you raise your hand so I, could, so I can see it? Anybody at all, you want to give your life to Christ? This is just between you and the Lord. Anybody at all? God bless you in the back. Anybody else? I want to make sure you're right with the Lord. Just raise your hand so I can see it. Father, we pray for this one that will raise their hand. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in their heart. While our eyes are closed and our heads are still bowed, for the one that raised their hand, why don't you just pray with me? Pray with us as believers. Just a prayer of, of confessing your sinner and committing your life to Christ. Just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But you died for me upon the cross and you paid the price for my sin. I turn from that sin today. Forgive me, Lord. I put my faith and trust in you from this day forward. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Make me ready for your return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord for this one that's given their life. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.
couple of things. If you gave your life to Christ this morning, please, we have a new believers table in the back in the corner. We'd love to give you some materials, hook up with you, pray with you. Uh, also, next week, we're going to finish our series of what happens next with the second coming of Jesus, the millennial reign of Christ, and the new heaven and the new earth, unless the Lord comes back before then, which I'm hoping. God bless you guys. Maybe you be filled with God's spirit and all the gifts he has for you to, to further the gospel for the kingdom of Christ. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys.